Hello, I'm Dan Mullins and welcome to week five of My Camino, the podcast. I wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you for your support. The response to the first four weeks has been astounding. If you haven't already, I urge you to go to the podcast icon on your phone and click on search, then look up My Camino, the podcast and hit subscribe. That way you'll automatically receive each episode as it's released Tuesday night, Sydney time. This week, my guest is the Canadian broadcaster, Laurie Brown. Laurie is host of the nighttime radio program, The Signal, on CBC in Toronto. I hope you all enjoy our chat as much as I did. Laurie, welcome. Thank you very much, Dan. Let's start with a few facts and figures. When did you walk the way? I walked away in 2013. And where did you start? Well, I did not walk the French way. I walked the English way. Right. Which, which meant that I started in El Ferro uh, on the northwest coast of Spain and then walked to Santiago de Campostela. Um, it's a it's a very different way, but I had uh, I had real things that um, I thought that this would be the way that I needed to go because it's very different from the French way. So, how many days did you walk? Uh, six days I walked. It's about one hundred and thirteen, one hundred and fourteen kilometers. Okay, so where does it actually start then, Laurie? It starts in El Ferro which is right on the coast. And it was the route that most of the uh, British um, pilgrims would take. They would take a boat that would land to El Ferro, and then they would walk to uh, Santiago de Campostela. So you must have seen some quite extraordinarily beautiful countryside. There's, There's a little bit of everything, but the reason that I did this walk is it's because it is the least traveled route that you can take. And I was interested in solitude and silence. And I was also interested because this is the route that has the most uh, wooded uh, area. So I was traveling in the woods and I was traveling by myself. And I got what I bargained for, which was a lot of solitude and silence. How fantastic. So is it, are there as many albergues as there would be on the more traditional routes? Are there as many what? Albergues, uh, hostels. Um, I did not do hostels. I did small, uh, uh, small inns in town. No, there aren't as many. Um... Um, but I did small inns along the way. How fantastic. We're going to talk about the psychology of the Camino in the course of our, our discussion tonight, but I wonder, Laurie, had you heard of the, inadverted commas, mystical nature of the walk before you went? Well, I figured it was mystical because it was so friggin' hard to do. <laughs> And that I would be presented with challenges that would put me in a different headspace. So while I I didn't think too much about the mystical nature of it before I went, 
and I I thought if there is one, it will be revealed to me on on the path. You can't prepare for it. You can't intellectualize your way through the through thinking about it beforehand. You just have to do it and. If it had any kind of mystical uh, or spiritual gift for me, um, they would be a surprise, and they would happen on the path. And so did you find it? I was constantly surprised as I walked, and because I spent so much time alone, uh, I walked for over 70 kilometers without seeing a soul. Wow. So I was very much alone and uh, lost a lot of the time, <laughs> and also in the woods, which also, not for all people, but for some people, carries an extra, well, a lot of fear is being in the woods by yourself. So um, what, what came to me along my route were different things at different times. I thought that I was walking for one reason, and every day I would realize, no, I'm not walking. I'm not walking for that. I'm walking for for something else. So every day it was an absolute surprise as to what was coming up and um, what what was being revealed to me. Yeah, I read on the Camino forum this week about preparation, and someone wrote, "I did plenty of training." I drank heaps of red wine and ate heaps of tapas before I went. Did, oh. you, did you train? Did you, what did you do in terms of I, preparation in a physical I, sense? Yeah. I trained by walking and, and increasing my walking until I was walking, you know, about 15, 16 kilometers a day here in Toronto before I left. Um, and so I, I felt that I was in really good physical shape for the walk. I wasn't too concerned physically with what was ahead of me. So I how, didn't train by, by drinking a lot of red wine, <laughs> I'm afraid. When, how far then did you walk each day, sort of average? Well, each day was different. It depended on how far away the, the next town was. Uh, some days there was one, there were two particularly really difficult days where it was 22 kilometers up and then the next day was 20 or 25 kilometers down. Um, some days I, I had to carry my own water and all my own food because I would see nothing in between morning and nighttime. So each day was different. There would be a couple of really easy days, um, but it was all based on um, can I get to a place to yeah. stay yeah. and what was in between. Can I ask then what you found more difficult, Laurie, up, going up or, or coming down? Actually, going down, I yeah. found more difficult. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and maybe that's compounded because the day before you were, you know, up the whole day. So my legs were sore, my hips were sore, but I found it going down was much harder on the hips than going up. Yeah, I found exactly the same thing coming down. What's called Othobrero, which is the highest point of the Francis Way, and it uh, was really challenging. And perhaps that is the reason as well, because it was such a hard day before. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it all builds up. You're host of the hugely popular radio program, The Signal. It's on nightly on Canada's CBC Radio 2. It's described 
as a place for the musically curious to hear the latest creative music trends and to experience the mind-expanding nighttime notions of host Laurie Brown. Can I put it to you, if you're prone to mind-expanding nighttime notions, did you feel moved by the Camino? We mentioned earlier the magic. What did it mean to you to do it? Uh, what did it mean to me to do it? You know, here I am three years after doing it, and when I think back and when I think about the answer to that question, it changes all the time. I set out uh, to do the Camino because I felt that I was at the height of the height of my competency, my capability, um, my my smarts, and I felt like this was the time to do it. I was about fifty five years old three years ago, and I thought if I can't do this now, I'll never be able to do it. With what I know about the world, what I know about people, what I know about my own um, my own sense of discipline, and I thought that's why I walked it as a kind of saying, okay, um, this is a really good time for me to do it, and I may not be able to do this again. But as I walked, it changed. It turned into, uh, I walked because of gratitude that I had lived my life this long, and I had two healthy children, and I had, I had you know, two, two partners who I have adored, um, and I have had a successful career, and I felt so amazingly lucky as I walked half the time. And then there was another section where I felt like I was saying goodbye to the first 55 years of my <laughs> life, which had a lot to do with uh, me as a mother and as a woman and sort of saying goodbye to the fertile me and knowing that I was looking ahead to this older woman version of myself. And I walked, I walked thinking about that and thinking that that's what the Camino was about. Um, so every couple days it changed. And, um, but in the end, when I was asked, why I walked mm. when I was waiting to get my my things signed to say that I was actually a pilgrim, the word gratitude came out of my mouth. Wow. So, um, mm. but in that moment, I think you'll find that there are a lot of pilgrims who say something they had no idea they were going to say. I interviewed the Australian filmmaker Bill Bennett uh, last week. He sees the Camino in terms of alchemy, that it instigates change in us that was lying dormant, that we're in a, we, we go there in a state of potential, that we are in wait in a sense. And it's an interesting theory, isn't it, that given we all feel in a sense now part of a Camino community because of some change. Yeah, I can really understand that. Um, in some ways, I think everyone who walks it has something they're trying to prove to themselves, even if it isn't on a conscious level. Um, I learned two things about myself um, when I was on the Camino. Is One, I have always hated asking for help from anyone. I find it very difficult to do, and I had to do that when I was there. I 
when I would get into a town in the evening or in the beginning of the morning and I didn't know where I was going, um, I had to ask for help, and in a language I didn't know. Um, and so I learned something about myself there. I also am terrified of being lost, and I learned how to be lost on the Camino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get found, but I learned how to be lost, <laughs> and yeah. and that was uh, that was a huge thing to get over, is to understand how to be lost and be okay with that. Um, and so for me, it was like I'm someone who has always felt like very much sort of in control of their lives. And uh, what was lying latent in the Camino for me is I had to learn how to be okay with being lost and giving up control, and that's what you have to do when you're on on the Camino. And do you draw on that experience often now, or is it just something oh, that... Oh, completely. Is, yeah, you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, I don't know what to do, and I I don't know where to go if I, you know, physically lost, or if I don't know what to do. When I was on the Camino, I learned to reward myself. I, I said, if I don't, if I am lost, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to take off my boots. I'm going to rub my feet. I'm going to have a drink of water. I'm going to have something to eat. I'm just going to sit and rest and look around. And I would find my heartbeat would go back down. I would look around, and half the time I'd, I'd see my marker right in front of me, but I was so freaked out because I thought I was lost, I couldn't see it. So even in the city now, and as I'm navigating through my life, when I really feel like I don't know what I'm doing, I employ the same thing. I sit down and I rest, and I just let go of stuff. And the way becomes clear once I'm able to do that. Yeah, you learned your way on the way. Yeah. That's fabulous. Had you been to Spain before? Uh, they're wonderful hosts, aren't they, the Spanish? Amazing hosts. Um, I had been, I guess, when I was about 19 or 20. And it was a very different experience traveling through Spain by myself at that time than it is as a 55-year-old woman. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, mostly I was invisible to the uh, people in the small town. But whenever I needed something and I approached someone, their, their patience and their sense of humor at me not being able to speak any Spanish at all. I tried so <laughs> desperately, but I was brutally bad. And they would just smile and take my arm and take me where I needed to go. And uh, it was incredibly humbling and uh, also the most exhilarating experience to put yourself in the hands of a stranger like that. And it, and it, always, it always worked out in the end. And even though sometimes you, you had to ask for help from people that you would never have approached normally, they were the only person there, and I had to. <laughs> yeah. And and. Still, they stepped up and, and were so helpful in giving. And, and that's especially significant to you because you were so reluctant to ask for help before. Incredibly reluctant. Yeah. And, um, and like I say, I, there weren't other people. I, I, I wasn't walking with anyone. The, I just saw a footstep uh, in the mud that had dried 
that was there was probably someone on this English way maybe three or four days ahead of me. So I, I started to talk to these footsteps whenever I would see them. So I knew that there was had been someone on this yeah, route, but yeah. I hadn't seen them and didn't see anyone. What a lovely image. Your solidarity and solitude with somebody who walked before you. Yeah, and only every once in a while would I catch sight of that same boot print. And it was the same one every time, so... And did you walk around Santiago saying, can I see the bottom of your shoes? Can you show me? Yes, I, felt I would have loved to have been able to yeah. find out who that person was. Yeah, yeah. But there was no way. And, and, uh, and it looked like they'd been there days before. So they had probably already gotten on a flight and gone back home. Yeah. Laurie, I, I walked for a few days with a group of Canadians, uh, three men in their 60s. They're very much like Australians, I think, in being very social people. Yet yes. you, you chose the, the route less travelled, in a sense. What then yes. did you make of Santiago and, and the pilgrims, the massive pilgrims that are often there? Well, I felt like all of a sudden I dropped LSD as soon as I hit the main <laughs> square. It's like I couldn't believe all these people. Like right for the last you know couple kilometres as coming into um, Santiago, you join with every other path, kind of, and, and so I started to see people there, and I, I was like, it was surreal. Yeah. And uh, and to see all these people, and I was, I just sat down in the square, and I'm as I'm sure you did and everyone else does, and just watched other people enter and watched their reactions, whether they're coming in, you know, 15 people with their arms around each other singing and yelling. Yeah. And, uh, or whether they're coming in by themselves, um, weeping and dropping yeah. down on their knees and kissing the ground, or whether they're just hobbling in, uh, so obviously in pain. It's it, the the multitude of reactions to actually finishing were was astonishing, and even if someone doesn't even do the walk, but they go to that place and just sit there for a day and watch what happens. It is a remarkable thing to witness. I, I had to draw myself away. I, I did exactly as you said. I sat down, plonked myself down, partly from exhaustion, but partly from just overawed at the whole spectacle. Yeah. And then I dragged myself away to go to the Pilgrim's Mass at, at 12.15. And, and then when I walked out, I was so tired. I needed to shower. I needed to have a rest. But I just went back and sat on the stones again, on the cobblestones. Yeah. And, and watched, and I cried, and you know, I actually arrived, Laurie, on my fiftieth birthday. Oh my! It, yes, it was a it was a gift from my family the the the, the trip. Uh, so I was very overwhelmed, and and it was very emotional. But uh, it was yeah, it was that's so funny that you mention it like that and talk about people crying and because that was sort of bringing back memories while I sit here talking to you, Laurie. Music's been a huge part of your life, and and still is. Uh-huh. Ra- the radio program, The Signal, has an element of musical discovery for your listeners. You're introducing them to new music. And what did you think, if I was to ask you one thing you felt you discovered about yourself on the Camino, what would it have been? One thing that I have discovered about myself. Um... I'm not, I'm as, I'm as needy 
and fragile as every other person in the world. Wow. I think is what I discovered on that walk. <laughs> Perhaps you've not thought about it till I just asked you. Um, I think I've thought about little bits of it, but I, I have never said it out loud. Yeah. I find it, I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to talk about the Camino because I think it's something that percolates through you forever after you do it. And the experience of it just keeps resonating in different ways. Yeah. So I'm almost loath to make a final statement about this because the experience just keeps, it keeps growing. Yeah. That's fascinating you should say that because I was sitting with those Canadian friends of mine with whom I might add I've maintained contact, been in contact regularly since we, since we came back. Um, we're great mates. Uh, the night before we were due to finish and I turned to one of them, Miles, and I said to him, when you get back, how will you make sense of this? How will you tell people about this? How will you, how will you put it into words? He said, I can't. I, I, I simply won't be able to. And they were, they were my second my Canadian friends were my second podcast, and, and I asked them again, have you been able to make sense of it? And they said no. And then one of them said, and I don't really want to. Yeah. Which is a lot of... Well, there's the mystical part that you were yeah. talking about. Yeah, exactly. The mystical part about it stays that way. Yeah, yeah. You can't undo that. You can't unravel it, because for each person it's different, but sure. I think it's as deep. Yeah, yeah. I... I, I I wanted to ask you about music, but you, you said that you walked in silence. You, you wanted silence. Yeah. yeah. And I think I would have been terrified if I'd had earbuds in and couldn't hear what was going on. I think I would have been terrified. Yeah. Um, I did bring one piece of music that I thought, and I did listen to at night, and it's by a Canadian fiddler who now, unfortunately, is dead, but his name is Oliver Schroer. And I don't know if you know of him, but he actually walked the Camino with a violin in his backpack and a recording equipment. And he stopped in different places, in churches, uh, in fields, by streams, and he would take out his violin and he would play and record. And he put that album out. And it is the closest thing to the experience of the Camino that I can think of wow. is playing that music by Oliver Schroer. Okay, I'm going to find that. Oliver Schroer. Laurie, do you, can you spell the surname? S-H-R-O-E-R. S-H-R-O-E-R. Fantastic. Fantastic. I will look that up and play it for on the podcast oh, in a couple of weeks. it's remarkable. I, I love it. Yeah. You, you've written books, one called Success Without College Days and Nights in rock and roll TV. Did you keep a journal when you walked? Uh, I thought that I was going to. I carried a journal, but I did not write in it. I think the, that everything that was happening was so overwhelming to me that I, I, once again, I didn't think I could put it down. And I didn't want to put it down. I just wanted to experience it. It makes me wonder about People who come back and immediately write a book about the Camino, I thought, how could you do that? There's no way that I could structure my thoughts in any kind of coherent way when yeah. I got back. Yeah. I couldn't write a book about it. Um, I'm writing a second book now, and there will be 
a little bit about the Camino in it, but it's mostly a book about about sound and silence and solitude. Um, So that's how it will figure in the book. But the experience of actually walking and what happens in your head is incredibly hard to put down. What I did do while I was there was I recorded sound. I was so taken with the different sounds that I would hear from the middle of the eucalyptus forest with the wind and the eucalyptus high up or coming across a little tiny stream in the middle of the woods or bells far away, um, animals, cows, dogs, um, all the sounds that I heard. That, to me, was my music. And so instead of playing music, I was recording it and bringing it home. That's so lovely. Again, I keep going back to my Camino and I coming out of the town of Surrey, I heard this most extraordinary sound and it was like something I'd never heard before. It sounded like somebody tuning a kettle steel drum or something. And I, I thought, I'm a musician by trade, Laurie. And I thought, I've never, I can't make sense of that. So I, I walked off the path a bit over a little hill and here were 30 cows, each with a different cowbell. And they were all moving sort of at different times and tempos and pace. It was the most extraordinary sound. I have it on my phone and, and uh, I listen to it sometimes. It takes me back. With, with people listening, and we're just about run out of time and you've been very generous with your time, I, I just ask a couple of standard questions to everybody. What do you think you could have left behind in your, from your backpack? Uh, my dirty clothes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you wish you'd taken with you? Uh, I wish I'd taken a better sound recorder, actually. I had no idea that sound was going to be such a big part of the experience. I wish I'd, I'd had more professional equipment. Yeah, you can certainly get some good stuff these days. And mm-hmm. your favorite moment, if I was to ask you that, your favorite moment on your Camino? My favorite moment was being completely lost and I was sitting down by the side of a river and a woman came out of a farmhouse on the other side of a river and started waving her tea towel at me <laughs> and and motioning for me to go over the railway bridge and come to her. So I walked over to her and she brought me in her house and I was definitely you know, lost and I guess it happened to a few people. She brought me in, and she gave me coffee, and she gave me liquor, and she gave me strawberries out of her garden, and we tried to talk, she and her husband and, and myself, about family, and and they showed me that they were pilgrims, too, and they had done it, and they they tidied me all up and set me off on my way, and I, I, I'll never forget sitting in their kitchen and having the most wonderful time with them. Everybody I've spoken to has a Camino Angel. Your Camino yeah. Angels, yeah? Yes. Yep. And, oh my goodness, they were just... Well, it was an equal uh, experience for both of us. We both got as much out of it. I, You know, they were so happy to do this for me, and I was just so happy to be on the receiving end of that. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, they were wonderful people. Okay, and one more question. Will you go back? Well, I have been thinking about doing the final little bit 
of starting in Santiago and then going down uh, to Portugal, to the coast in Portugal. Um, I've been thinking about doing that bit. And this time, I don't think I would do it by myself, but I do it with my partner. And I, I would like to do that together. And so that's what I've got on my mind. How about you? Oh, definitely. It's calling me back all the time. And I hope to go back, in fact, uh, sometime in 2017. And t- I'll take a group. I walked on my own. But, of course, you're never alone on the, on the Francis Way. Um, so I'd like to go back. I'll take back a group of people with me, including my teenage sons, uh, in 2017. Lovely. It will be lovely. But, but, but I just wanted to mention also, Laurie, there are some beautiful walks in Canada, of course, and particularly where you're from, in your part of the world. Oh, yeah. There Famous. are tremendous walks. Yeah. yeah. You can, you know, Canada is a pretty amazing country for that, and there are tracks and trails in every province across Canada. Um, and it just depends what your favorite thing is. You know, you pick mountains, or you pick the prairies, or you pick uh, up in the in the Canadian Shield, just north of where I am in Toronto, which is all lakes and streams. Yeah. And we have amazing national parks with unbelievable trails in them. So, yeah, <laughs> there are walks everywhere, but they're not the Camino. But have you... Since you've gone back, maintained your walking? Are you still walking regularly? Um, yeah, I do walk. But I'm a I'm a city girl, and I walk my city. And I try. I don't have a car, and so if I'm not on public transit and the weather's good, I'm walking as much as I can. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one day our paths will cross on the Camino. Yeah. All right. How will I know you? You'll know me. <laughs> I'll pick you. Thanks, okay. Laurie. Thank you so much. It's The bug is hard to shake, and it's just nice to chat to, to other people who have had the same experiences that I have, and I hope that our listeners have learned a thing or two perhaps about you and I and indeed the Camino. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, Dan. Thanks a lot, fellow pilgrim. Buon Camino. You too. Laurie Brown there, the host of The Signal on Canada's CBC Radio 2. You can listen live by Googling The Signal, Laurie Brown. That's all we have time for this week. Next week, it will be a dual podcast in both English and in Spanish. I hope you can join me. Until then, I'm Dan Mullins, Buon Camino.